All right, very good. Thank you. Junior High, you can go to your class now. All right. So, as you know, we uh, began a series on heaven two weeks ago. And uh, in addition to just exploring the scripture, we're relying pretty heavily on a lot of the work by Randy Alcorn in his book, um, Heaven. And uh, before we go any further, though, we, I mean, I, I probably have said this sometime or another, but I just wanted to be crystal clear about this particular point. Um, uh, Alcorn tells a story about an, a, a grave site in Indiana, Indiana, and on the grave site it says, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And someone scratched on after that. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Good word. I imagine the family didn't appreciate it, but it's the truth. When we talked a couple weeks ago about there's so many things that we believe about heaven. And one of those things that we believe about heaven, one of those things that's really not right about heaven, is that heaven is not the default destination for all people. We need to be clear about that because going forward, I'm probably not going to be saying this every time, but we just need to be clear that when we talk about heaven, heaven is a place that is reserved for people who have made a faith decision to place their faith, their trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And that is the only person who will gain entry into heaven. That is the only person who will be able to have an abiding relationship with Christ for all eternity. That is the only person who will be able to to enjoy forgiveness of sins. There is nothing that anyone can do that would get them into heaven any other way. Matter of fact, you know, and and, and just like the little girl said, you know what, what if someone's really, really good? It means that they're really, really good. But they're not saved. And matter of fact, Jesus says that in, in Matthew 7, he says, um, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way to, is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And so there is Christ right there. He's saying like m- many people are going to be able to go through a gate that leads to destruction, but very few will ever enter into this, this gate of salvation. He, later on, he says it in Luke 13 also, he says, make every effort to enter into the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try and enter and will not be able to. Many will try and enter and will not be able to. The, the reason why, and I've heard this so many times in the past 10 days even, or two weeks, the reason why so many will not be able to is because what they're doing is they're saying that the gospel message is too simple. That all I have to do is believe, that's too simple. I can't believe that. And that will prevent them from going through the narrow door. There are others, just like my friend last week and others that I've talked to recently, who have also said, well, I, I can't do that. I, need, I want to be able to work for it. That's the way my dad brought me up. I need to do something for it. That person who needs to do something for it, will also find 
that the narrow door will not let them through. Because it is only in simple belief, simple faith in Christ, that one can step from the narrow door, uh, the broad door to the narrow door, where one can go from being in condemnation for their sin to being forgiven for their sins. And so this is such, so important. And matter of fact, I mean, I just, I, I know the part of the joy of being at a church this size is that I can look around the room and I know most of your stories to some degree or another, maybe not all of it, but I know a lot of your stories. And so I can look around this room right now and there are people in this room that I know is working hard to get through that narrow door and you're not going to make it. And so I want to pause right now just for a second and I want you to consider do I know with absolute certainty, not that I hope, not that I'm hedging against it, but can you tell me with absolute certainty that if you were to die right now, that you'd wake up on the other side in heaven? Consider that question. Because in those few words are the most important issue of your life. And if you can't answer that question saying, yes, I know with certainty, then you can change that right now. And I, I, there is nothing you can do that is more important than that to change that right now. You have not, I'm sorry, but I just have to tell you the truth. You've not been that good. You can't be to get into heaven. You cannot work hard enough to get into heaven. You have to believe that you can't work hard enough and that he did everything you need to get into heaven. And that, is the, and that right there means that the rest, all the rest of the series is important to you if you can say that. If you can't say with certainty, let me just tell you, the next several weeks about heaven, I'm talking about something you'll never experience. What we're doing for the next several weeks, if you can't answer that question, if you don't know you're going to heaven, what we're about to do is you're looking through a guidebook of a place you'll never go. Wow, that's nice. I'd love to go there sometime. I bet it's expensive. No, it's not. It's free. Just believe. Just believe. If you can't believe that simple faith, the next several weeks means nothing to you. Close your eyes, please, and bow your heads. And I'm just going to say a prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer, I beg you to do it right now with all earnestness and just tell God you need him. Tell God you need him to fix your sin problem. It just it, it is just so simple. It is simply just telling them, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm apart from you. And right now, I just want to ask you to forgive me. And I just want to tell you that I want to believe in your death as the payment for my sins. And by faith, I want to believe that. 
Thank you for Jesus who died for me. Amen. That's why so many will never get through the narrow door because that prayer just seems too simple. That simple faith just seems too simple. Well, that's the reality of it. That is the reality of it. You know, it's all summed up in, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, not works, but believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, that's really important because what you believe about what we just talked about means a world of difference in everything else we talk about for the next... It means a world of difference in everything we talk about every week, but especially when we're talking about heaven. The difference is, is like, if you prayed that prayer, you right alongside of everybody else is going to be flipping through a guidebook about heaven. The difference between one who prayed it and one who didn't is that there are some who have a ticket and they will go there. There are others who don't and never will, apart from faith in Christ. That's the difference. So, all right. When I was in fifth grade or sixth grade or seventh grade, something like that, I was in Boy Scouts. It was a good experience. And um, we used to do those campouts that Boy Scouts do, just like, you know, they did here on our campus recently, where um, they come and they learn skills, or they do things that are Boy Scoutish, you know? And so um, I was on one of those campouts, and we had to learn some skills. And one of the skills I had to learn was how to use a compass. I'd never used a compass before. I'd seen them in the movies, but I'd never used one before. And so, what they did was, they put a bag over your head, a paper bag over your head. It wasn't plastic. They were safe Boy Scouts. (laughs) Paper bag over your head, and they turned you around a few times, and then they gave you a coordinate, and they said, you're on your own. And so there I was, with a bag on my head, wandering around the countryside, trying to find my way somewhere. And what's astonishing was, I was terrified. I was horrified. I thought that I was probably going to end up in New Mexico, which you only go there for vacation. And lo and behold, I finally said, okay, I'm done. And they pulled the bag off, and I was like, there. And that's been like a metaphor for my whole life. I don't know how I got there, but I'm usually in the right spot. (laughs) So that compass was, that exercise was one that I didn't really get, you know. I still don't, you know, to this day, I don't have much use for a compass. But I do have one. I have it on my phone. You know, there's an app for that anymore. There's an app for everything anymore, you know. I don't know why I have it on my phone, but I have it. I think it's kind of interesting. And you know, what this does is right now, it tells me that I'm looking. Let 
south. It also tells me right now that if I do this, I'm looking straight ahead north. That's north. And so if I had to go north someplace, I could look at my compass. That's what it looks like on my phone. That's what I'm looking at right now. And it would lead me there. You know what's also really interesting, too? Does anyone else have this on your iPhone or your Android thing or whatever? What's really interesting, if we all had a compass right now and we, and we all stood up and we said, okay, everyone face north, that a whole group of us would turn around and look the same way. Compasses bring people together also. That was just a side thought I had while I was standing in the back of the room. That's a good preaching point, but we're not going there today. Anyway, but compasses bring people together and go in the right direction. And so anytime I need to know where north is, I can do this. And what it does is, is it also tells me how to go east, because right now I'm, I'm going east, and it tells me how to go south and tells me how to go west. It gives me a space so that I know where I am in the world, so to speak, based on east, west, north, and south. It guides me. It's... It, it, it gives me, it, it locates me, it grounds me. And so, and the interesting thing is that, you know, a compass, this little compass here, you see it up there, the red thing, it's always calibrated toward north. And so it's always pointing that direction. It gives me, it helps me to know which direction. And so, if you remember two weeks ago from the, the story of Florence, and I think Debbie even referenced this in, in worship, Florence Chadwick, you know, she was swimming from Catalina Island to the, to the California shore, and she gave up due to exhaustion, only to find out that the, flo- the fog had clouded her view, and a half mile further was the shore. She was that close to her goal, but she didn't see it. She didn't have a way of knowing where it was at. She didn't have anything that guided her, so she quit before she got there. We're connected to seeing the shore and the motivation that it could have given by by having a vision for heaven and the motivation that that can be for us. Today, we don't really think of heaven as a compass, so to speak. That instead is, is, you know, a compass is is pointing north. Let's do this today. Let's imagine that if you were to pull out your smartphone with the app on it, and you were to pull up the heaven compass, the red dial up there, the red dial up there would always be pointing toward heaven. And that any time you're trying to figure out, like, I need some guidance here, I need to kind of get myself situated, I need to have my thoughts and my heart's brought, my thoughts and my heart brought into line with you, Lord, you could pull out your compass and it would point toward heaven. You go, okay. I need to make an adjustment. I need to move this way to get myself oriented back to heaven. Well, it's, it's, you know, Paul said the same thing. Paul believed that that's something we need to do. Because in Colossians 3, we looked at this briefly a couple weeks ago. In Colossians 3, he said here, Set your hearts on things above. Therefore, if you have been risen with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on things on earth. Now, and, and so here is Paul. He is telling the Colossians, you need to keep your minds on things above. You need to orient yourself to north, always. You need to know where it's at. You need to know why that's important. And you need to benefit from the direction of that, right? So he's saying, this is the compass. You need to set your mind on it. Keep your mind there. 
That word set your hearts on is, is, a, is a Greek word. It's called zeteo. And it means to seek, to strive, to seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, or reasoning. And so it has this, this sense of passion and diligence to it. It's present tense, so it means ongoing and continual. It's the same word that's used in, in Luke 19, where the Son of Man came to seek what was lost. That's the same word. Zeteo. Matthew 18, it's how shepherds seeks their lost sheep. In Luke 15, the woman seeks for a lost coin. In Matthew 13, um, the merchant searches for a priceless pearl. And so in each of those cases, it has this sense of diligence, of persevering, of single-mindedness about it. And so Paul is telling us to keep doing this, to keep setting our minds and our hearts on the things above, heaven and Christ. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. This is what you've got to keep doing. Set your mind on this. Do this. What are you doing right now? Do this. Set your mind on this. If you were using a compass, you, why would you keep looking at it? Because you do it because it keeps you on track. And that's what Paul is saying, is that by keeping your mind set on things in heaven, you'll keep yourself on track. Therefore, heaven is like a compass for us. And God knows how we are. God knows that we need to be constantly reminded. Peter, in 2 Peter, he said, um, in 2 Peter, whoa, where do we go here? I gave it away, doggone. All right. We'll get there in a minute. And Peter says, in 2 Peter um, 3, he says, Now now it is this, my beloved, the second time I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He's saying, I'm reminding you. This is the second time. And so he knows. And as a matter of fact, what is he reminding them of? That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord Savior spoken by the apostles. He goes on. He's talking about the Lord's return. In chapter, in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, he's talking about the Lord's return. He says, you need to remember this. But we are, we are like Doug the dog. We are like Doug the dog. From the movie Up, and he is constantly being distracted by whatever he was called to do. Can you run that for us, Bill? Disney Pixar's new movie, Up, Meet Doug. Hi there. Hey, that one looks like a turtle. Look at that one. That one looks like a dog. Oh, it is a dog. What? Oh, we're not allowed to have dogs in my apartment. Hey, I like dogs. We have your dog. Whoa. Wonder who he belongs to. Sit, boy. Hey, look, he's trained. Shake. Uh huh. Speak. Hi there. Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! My master is good and smart. It's impossible. Oh, it is because my master is smart. <gasps> cool. What are these, new See, boys? We're just like, we're just like Doug the dog. And, and it's just like what he's saying right there. He's saying, my master is good and smart, and we're talking to the Lord, and I love you so incredibly not, so incredibly much. Squirrel! 
and we're immediately distracted by something. By something that's frivolous in this life or something that's weighty in this life. But he knows how easily distracted we are. And that's why we do communion regularly. That's why he instituted Passover for, his, for the Jews, for Israel, regularly to remind them because they needed to see it. They needed to be reminded. They needed to remember. And so here Peter says, remember, 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 he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be like this. And then you move into Revelation, and he says, this is what it's going to be like. He's telling them what it's going to be like. He's presenting a table and he says, this is where you're going. And so in light of all that, in light of, of, of like knowing how you are, remember. Remember. You know, a lot of us, there, are, there, there is this particular, we have seasons of life. All of us do. And so, for instance, like, uh, you know, uh, some of us are in baby season. You know, and so we have a baby, and it's like, so, you know, when people come up to you, they go, what's the baby doing? And that's what you talk about, you know? And then there's some of us who are in wedding season. Oh, how are the wedding plans coming? You know, do you have your dress? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do, do I get to come? You know, that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> and, and so everyone has that. It's like you have a kid that's in sports, like, you know, the Rileys. Hi, how's volleyball? You know, that's what you talk. You have a season of life, and this topic dominates what you talk about, what you think about, and the conversation so often. For older people, it's often, how many pills am I taking? You know, my doctor's appointment. This is what hurts today. That hurts today. People, and so they have seasons of life, and that's what they talk about. And Paul is saying, this, in this season of life, in this season of life, this is what you need to be talking about. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to which the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In this season of life, which we call life on earth, he says, your topic of conversation is heaven. Your topic of conversation is him. Your topic of conversation is that, you know what? I'm going to see him. I'm going to be with him. And I don't know when, but this is just passing compared to that. The topic of conversation for our season as Christians is heaven, is the afterlife. I want you to open up your Bibles to Romans 8. We're going to kind of walk through this a little bit. Romans has so much in it to benefit and grow from. And this particular passage, you could use it for so many reasons. But today we're going to be using it for talking about heaven, for talking about what the Lord is teaching us and, and what he would have us to remember. I want to start out just with one verse. I want to start out just with this verse and because it has to do with grace. 
And this is such a great topic. And I want you to know that in February, we're probably going to start a longer series on grace and Galatians. But the very first verse in, in Galatians 8 one says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. So if you are in Christ Jesus and you're working through your sin and you're working on how to please him, he says, stop that. I have grace for that. Stop that. I have grace for that. Now then, drop down with me to verse 9. We're going to be going through the passage, picking up different places. He's speaking to these Christian Romans, and he's saying to them, you know, that this is what you were, and this is what you are now. And in verse 9, he says, However, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Son of God dwells in you. Now, right there, that's what we were saying at the very beginning of this message. It's that there is something you need to have in place before you really grasp all this and before you can take it and own it. And that's that Jesus has to be living inside of you. And he does that when you place your faith in him. So that's what he's saying to these people. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then he is inside of you. If he is inside of you, then, and he begins to talk. If anyone, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. So, dear brothers, if, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. So he, gets, he says, your bodies are dead now. That body is dead now, but he has given your spirit life through, that, through him, through his power. Go down to verse 15 now. And he says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have in, received a spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Now that is so important. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see? He's talking present tense and future tense. He's saying right now you are in the midst of suffering. Right now this is what this life is like. Your spirit is alive, but it is trapped in a body that is dead. It is trapped in this world for the moment. And in this moment, you are suffering. There is pain for this moment, he says. But you will be made. He speaks about future there as he's closing up that verse. He speaks about future. Glorified with him. Verse 18. For I consider all the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There it is, folks. That is your heaven compass. So if you pull out your app and you look at it and you're facing toward immense pain at work, immense pain in your family, immense pain and sickness, whatever it may be, he says, whatever it is, that compass is facing north. Turn north because when you face north, when that compass is facing toward heaven, and when you face heaven, east, west, and south are passing all that pain, all that sorrow, all that suffering, all that other stuff that you are amidst in right now that is your current reality right now will be gone in a heartbeat. It will pass. It is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. For anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There are many families in this church who have adopted. We have. And there's a process you go through where that child comes to live with you for a while, but that child is not yours. They can call you mom and daddy, and you can say, stop that and quit that, but they're not yours. You'll feed them, you'll take care of them, but they're not yours. Not until the state says so. And then all of a sudden, they're yours. And they're all yours. And in this passage, he's saying, right now, you're waiting for that adoption to come through. Right now, you're in a place where you are struggling because it's, it's now but not yet. You are sons of God and the Spirit is residing in you, but it is not complete yet because you are not glorified. You are not fully redeemed until you've left that body, till you've left that place, and you are in the presence of Christ And he says, your body is just aching with wanting that to happen. Wanting to escape the sorrow, the pain of relationships, of chronic illness, of chronic pain, of broken relationships, of, of everything about this life that makes it hard. He says, you are eagerly waiting for that to be gone And it will be gone. But all of that you're going through is nothing compared to the glory. To the glory to come. Nothing. He continues to go on. Verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what one sees? But we hope for what we do not see. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. He goes on through this chapter. It is, I'm going to stop right there with it. He goes on, he just speaks about like that, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ and, and that neither height, you know the passage, and he, and he speaks about that. He's speaking about that love he has for us and that in that day, we will fully understand it when we're in his presence. We will fully understand it when we're in his presence. And so as you go through that text, and there's others we could do as well, You can understand why being passionate about heaven in this life serves as a compass, as a guide, because it helps me see the end when I don't know where the end is. It tells me that the light of the end of the tunnel is Jesus and not a train. 
It helps me to see that all that is going on in this life, the illness, the brokenness, the death, the corruption, the decay, the seeming endless, uh, the seemingly endless, meaningless toil of our lives, that all of that will pass quickly if I endure it. I can be joyous about what is even going on in my life right now. Whatever it is, regardless of the pain that it extracts from me, regardless of the pain that it causes me, nothing, nothing, nothing compares to what God has ready for us when we arrive in heaven. And now you know why Paul said, I long for heaven, but staying here is okay. Because it's only for a moment. And I can deal with that. Heaven, being there with him, wanting to see him face to face is a compass because it guides us through all that this life throws at us. Florence Chadwick needed to see the shore to reach her goal. We need to see heaven to reach our goals which is him, to to be able to see our way through this life. We're going to close with a song. We're going to sing it together. And when we get done, we'll pray and you're dismissed. Back there at the table, along with the booklets that you can use as an invitation for heaven booklets, there are cards like this, little cards like this. And it says, allow heaven to be the compass that directs you through this life. And you can take one or two or three. You can put it on your dashboard, on your refrigerator, in your shirt pocket, on the bathroom mirror, you know, on your desk, wherever you have to, to remind you that whatever you're going through, God is going to see you through it. And it's only for a moment. The song we're going to sing is an old song. Many of you probably know it. And... uh but it just talks about turning our eyes on him. Let's all stand and sing it together, all right?